0: In those days, a decree went out from Caesar, and so everyone went to their town to be registered. Joseph went up from Nazareth to the city of Bethlehem along with Mary, and when they were there, it came time for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in cloth and laid him in a manger. In the same region, shepherds were staying out in the field at night and keeping watch over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the city of David a Savior was born, for you who is the Messiah, the Lord, So who
1: is the greatest superhero, and why is it Batman? (laughs) Right, right? Did someone say no? You said no? Who's better than Batman? Iron Man. Man. No, see, see, here's the thing. Iron Man is the narcissistic Batman. So, 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 no, so you're wrong. And and before we get into a fight, let me ask the next one. uh, Who is the greatest UFC fighter? Ronda Rousey, of course, right? Uh, Makes more money per fight than any of the dudes, so she gets to to win that one. Um, What about this? Uh, The greatest guitar player of all time. Slash. Slash? Yes, well, uh, Slash I will give you in the top three. (laughs) Santana. No, overrated. Anyone else? (laughs) Uh, Van Halen. Oh, Eddie Van Halen? Okay, yeah, and... Eric Clapton? Are you kidding me? You guys aren't even close. You guys don't, there's, two in, there's two more in the top three that you guys haven't gotten. Jimi Hendrix. There you go. Jimi Hendrix is in the top three, also not number one. Come on. You Midwesterners should know this one. It's Prince, obviously. Okay. Jeez, and I'm not even going to get into trying to settle who is the greatest basketball player of all time. Okay, uh, so <laughs> now, now, now here's the thing, when you get into these conversations about who is the greatest this or that or whatever of all time, a lot of it is like super subjective, isn't it? Uh, It is based on our personal temperament, uh, our personal likes, our cultural background, all those sorts of things. And so we all have a different set of criteria by which we're judging um, uh, what is the greatest of of whatever category. And we may have fun fighting about these things because we have all of those different opinions and that's what makes it so much fun. What I want to do though is I want to roll back the tape. I want to roll back the tape 4,000 years ago. And 4000 years ago, scattered across what we would call the Middle East and Northern Africa and Asia, there were there were countless kingdoms and countless religions. There were gods and and goddesses and there were mythologies and there was this world of a great diversity of belief. And in that world there was this rather unremarkable 75-year-old guy, right? He's just going about his business and he hears the voice of God and for no conceivable reason in this guy's life, this God tells him that He has just picked him and, and, and that He wants to make him into the father of a great nation and that He's going to bless that nation and anybody who curses him, He's going to He's going to curse. And He tells him that the whole world is going to be blessed through His downline of this seventy-five-year-old unremarkable guy. And and all he had to do was get up and go where God told him to go and settle where God told him to settle. And so he did. This guy whose name was Abram. Uh, does this. He takes his wife Sarai and his nephew Lot and he heads out and he packs up and he heads to a place called Negev. And, and, and when he's there, things go bad. Uh, there, there's a famine um, that ends up driving him and his family to Egypt just for survival's sake. And eventually he ends up going back and by that time he has accumulated quite a bit of wealth. And so he and his nephew Lot split up uh, their, their belongings and they head two separate ways and they kind of go to two parts of the land. But what happens is his nephew ends up in, in this area where there's these four kings who are battling um, these four other kings. And Lot, uh, Abram's nephew, gets caught in the middle and, and they get caught in this war and then their family's in hostage and Abram then grabs 318 guys. Remember, he's like 75 plus the time he spent in Egypt. He grabs 318 guys and goes to battle with the four kings that just beat the other four kings in order to get Lot and his people back. That's a lot, Right? but that's the setup for Genesis 14. (laughs) So if you have your Bibles, in Genesis 14, this is what it says. It says this Abram, this guy, this old guy, weary from battle, goes out to a place called King's Valley, and he meets a guy, and it says Melchizedek, or Melchizedek, depending on how you wanna say it, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was a priest to the God Most High. He blessed him and said, Abram is blessed by God, most high, creator of heaven and earth, and blessed be God, most high, who has handed over your enemies, Now, this is the first time in the Bible that we hear this phrase, God most high, and it appears three times in this text. And the Hebrew here for God most high is El Elyon, which means God most high, right? And it means the the God that sits above all of the other gods. And so in this universe, in this this world in which there are countless kings and and, and kingdoms and and gods and goddesses and, and mythologies, we have this God who is set above all of them. He is said to be the God most high. And so when that phrase is used for like a king, it would be the king who is above all the other kings. It's the king that the other kings fear, right? The one that they're afraid of. And so this phrase, God most high, is saying that this Melchizedek, who is this priest of the God most high, is is telling Abram, this God that called you, that sent you to the Negev, and then you kind of looped around and come back here. This God that called you, he is above all other so-called gods or gods or mythologies. He is at the top of the food chain. And then this phrase God most high just keeps repeating itself throughout the Old Testament. In fact, the King David writes a song when God has rescued him from his enemies and we have that song in 2 Samuel chapter 22. Let me just read part of that song. He says, I called to the Lord in my distress I called to my God. From his temple, he heard my voice, and my cry for help reached his ears. And then the earth shook and quaked. The foundations of the heavens. Shook, they trembled. They shook because he burned with anger. Smoke rose from his nostrils and consuming fire came from his mouth and coals were set ablaze by it. Check that, smoking fire came from his mouth, set coals ablaze. He bent the heavens and came down, total darkness beneath his feet. He bent the heavens it came down. He rode on a cherub and flew, soaring on the, winds of the wings of the wind. He made a darkness a canopy around him. It The gathering of water and thick clouds from the radiance of His presence, blazing coals were ignited. So now it's it's His actual presence igniting fire. The Lord thundered from heaven; the Most High made His voice heard. He shot arrows and scattered them. He hurled lightning bolts and routed them. The depths of the sea became visible. The foundations of the world were exposed at the rebuke of the Lord, at the blast of the breath from his nostrils. He reached down from on high and he took hold of me. He pulled me out of deep water. He rescued me from my powerful enemies and from those who hated me for they were too strong for me. David says, that's my God. In many of the Psalms, which were written by the same guy, David, he uses this imagery again. This imagery of God is the God most high. He is the one who sits with all the power at the top of the food chain. And Daniel will use it, a guy named Daniel, in a bunch of terrifying prophecies in the book of Daniel to show how powerful God is, that he is imminently powerful. And then at the Old Testament, the prophecies ceased. For 400 years, nothing, no prophets, until an angel named Gabriel broke the silence by appearing to a a woman named Elizabeth, and we're gonna hear more about her in two weeks, and then a few uh, months later, the same angel appears to a broke teenage girl named Mary (laughs) And by the way, did you know that Mary is the most popular girl's name ever in the history of the world? And everyone knows that that Mary is named after this broke teenage girl that no one cared about. <laughs> because of this Mary, who was probably 15, 16-year-olds max. This is what happens in Luke chapter one. It says, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged gave to a, to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came to her and said, greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. But she was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. Now there's only two angels that are actually named in the Bible. Uh, anybody know what those two are? Michael And so Michael tends to be the he's the archangel, angel of like war and victory and that kind of stuff. And then there's Gabriel. And Gabriel's the guy who makes announcements, right? He's the guy running around making announcements. So this is this guy. And now nearly every time, we talk about this a lot, every time that angels appear in the Bible, people get terrified because they're, I always say the Navy SEALs of the universe, and then someone comes up and he says, what about the Army Rangers? So they're, okay, they're the, the Army Rangers of the universe, right? And so they're terrifying and so people always freak out. But what's interesting about Mary is Mary's unusual. Most people freak out just at the appearance of the angel, but Mary's different. She freaks out by the words, by the message. it It says she was afraid because of this message, wondering what could this message, what kind of greeting could this thing be? I mean, think about how this statement would bother her. This angel appears, it says, God has put special favor on you. He, the angel calls her by name in a very tender way and, 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 and calls her name Mary and then, and then says, I've got a big message for you. And that's gotta be a terrifying thing, right? She's like, something is going on. She's wondering if what the other shoe is gonna be that drops. So here it is, verse 30. Then the angel told her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now listen, You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God uh, will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. There's so much in this. I mean, first of all, he calls her by name. That's very tender, right? He's letting her know that she's known that God has a plan for her life, and then he drops this bomb that she is going to have a, a son, and that God has already picked out her son's name. And we're going to talk about the significance of the name Jesus next week, so we're going to kind of skip over that for now, but for now, just know that it's packed with significance. It's direct from the Hebrew term for Yahweh or God saves, and it's significant, it's significant because it, it shows rescue and deliverance and salvation and all that. But the crazy thing is, with Mary being the most common name in the history of the world, Jesus was one of the most common names in the entire first century. <laughs> Again, we'll talk more about that next week. But look what the angel told her. He said, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus Jesus. And he will be great. Now that word great, we're like, oh, that's great. Or Tony the Tiger, it's great, right? But it's like that word carries very little for us right now. But that word great, it means splendid, it means magnificent, it means powerful, it means noble. It, it, how great is he? Is he Iron Man great? Is he Eric Clapton great? No, there's there's no denying how great this name would be, this Jesus would be, because this is what it says. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of, of the Most High, the son of El Yon, the son of that God that sits above all gods and goddesses and kings and kingdoms and mythologies and sits at the top of the food chain. This son of God, this this child that she will give birth to is that son. And so all of this, this awe and worship that anyone would have toward the God Most High will now be given to her son, as the author of Hebrews tells us about Jesus, the sun is the radiance of God's glory. Remember that radiance that we just read about? That ignited coal? <laughs> the radiance of God's glory. The exact expression of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful word. And after making purification for sins, Jesus, that's he, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Jesus himself said this about himself. He said, have I been among you all this time and you don't know who I am, Philip? The one who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? And then famously in John 10.10, 10, Jesus said, I and the Father am one. So this angel Gabriel says Jesus will be called the Son of the Most High, which caused me to think, wait a minute, who calls him the Son of the Most High, right? So I, I kind of went on this little rabbit trail. Started looking, and you know who calls Jesus the Son of the Most High in the Gospel accounts? It's crazy. In fact, it's so crazy, I want to read the whole 20-verse section for you in Mark 5. I know this is a long passage. you got to hear the whole thing. I, I could summarize it. I'm just going to read it. Here it is. They came to the other side of the sea, to the region of Gerasenes, and as soon as he got out of the boat, a man with an unclean spirit came out of the tombs and met him, that him is being Jesus. He lived in the tombs, and no one was able to restrain him anymore, not even with a chain, because he often had been bound with shackles and chains, but he had torn the chains apart and smashed the shackles like the Hulk. See how we keep coming back here? Um, He came uh, like shackled. uh, no one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs, and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he, this, this guy, this, this, this crazy Hulk-like guy, right? When he sees Jesus from a distance, he ran and knelt down before him. And he cried out with a loud voice, What do you have to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you before God, don't torment me. So, with all of his strength, all of his power, he was terrified of Jesus because he knew what Jesus could do to him. For he had told him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. What is your name? Jesus asked him. My name is Legion, he answered him, because we are many. That sounds like a superhero or supervillain. And he begged him earnestly not to send him out of the region. And a large herd of pigs was there feeding on the hillside. And the demons begged Jesus, send us to the pigs so we might enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And a herd of about 2,000 rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned there. And the men who tended him ran off and reported it to the town. Because of course they did. And the countryside. And people went to see what happened. And they came to Jesus. And they saw the man who had been demon-possessed sitting there. Dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told him about the pigs, and they began to beg Jesus to leave. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged him earnestly that he might remain with him. Isn't that great? The people who saw this miracle wanted Jesus just to get out. The guy who had the miracle performed to him wanted to be with Jesus the rest of his life. But Jesus did not tell, let him, but told him, go home to your own people and report to them how much the Lord has done for you and how much he has had mercy on you. So he went out and began to proclaim to the capitalists how much Jesus had done for them. And they were all amazed. I know it's a long thing. I just wanted to read the whole thing instead of summarizing is Isn't that crazy? This guy is unrestrainable. He is unstoppable. He is is possessed by so many demons, they call themselves legion, right? 2,000 of them there, right? Controlling his every movement, controlling him and tormenting him, suppressing his will, burying his personhood. And these demons recognize Jesus in an instant and say, what do you have to do with me, son of the most high? I beg you, don't torment me. Process that. No one can control this guy, right? Chains can't hold him. Shackles can't hold him. And yet thousands of demons inside of him tremble at Jesus' appearance because he is the son of El Elyon, the son of the Most High. And when Jesus cast the demons into the pigs and and, and they, they begged, everybody just begged Jesus to leave. And I think that that's fair. Because you either got to worship Jesus or be afraid of him. Because he has the awesome power of the most high. And Mary, this broke teenage girl, is told, that's going to be your son. (laughs) And she has the most logical response. Verse 34, how can this be since I've not had sexual relations with a man, which is a fair point? And and I do want to point out the obvious. Mary and her fiancé had not consummated their relationship. And in our modern ears, we're like, oh, that's so old-fashioned, it's quaint, it's unrealistic, but it's more than that. We see that these two young people, they had a biblical sexual ethic. And this is not a sermon about sexuality, so I'm not going to wander into that too far. (laughs) But even a cursory glance of Scripture shows us that God has a plan for his followers to, to live out their sexuality in the context of their marriage and, and, and we see that this, they had lived this out. And so what had happened, and we'll talk again more about this next week, is they were betrothed, which means they were engaged. They were building a home together, but they had not consummated that marriage yet. And so when we look at that, we shouldn't say, oh, how old-fashioned or how quaint or how unrealistic. We should think how honorable, how godly, how inspiring this is. In fact, it's even wilder, because in a Jewish context, they would have pretty much been considered husband and wife. So Mary asked the angel, how can this be, since I've not had sexual relations with a man? And the angel replied to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And consider your relative Elizabeth. Even she has conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month for her who was called for childless, for nothing will be impossible with God. Now imagine, if you can, being in Mary's shoes for a second. How unbelievable is your life now? Like everything has been just completely turned upside down. How would you respond to something that was absolutely impossible without God? Here's her response, verse 38. I am the Lord's servant. May it happen to me as you have said. That's a remarkable response. And, and, and this translation, the CSB, kind of ruins it for me. It says, See. And the reason it says "see" is because we don't use the word that's in like the old King James, which is behold. (laughs) She was like, behold. Yes, okay, I'm in. Like she's, she's not just saying, well, let's see, should we do this? And she's like, no, I am completely and utterly in. I am the Lord's servant. What you have said, let it happen to me. No matter what that means for my life, I am in. And I think that's so astonishing because we are so oriented toward controlling our own destiny and making our own choices that a statement like that rattles us. She didn't ask for this. It was going to cause her public disgrace. People would not believe her. We are so in our culture used to unwed pregnancies, but it would be shameful in her culture. The fact that she had a son before she had consummated this relationship would be the news to everyone in town. She was likely from a very poor family marrying a very poor man. They were just scraping by and the fact that she was pregnant out of wedlock was gonna cause insults and possibly the loss of her fiance and the cruel treatment for her son and the cruel treatment for her. And she says, behold, may it happen to me exactly as you have said. <laughs> That's rattling. That's rattling. Now, it'd be easy right now at this juncture to make Mary out to be the hero. And she is pretty amazing. There are more people have been named after Mary than any other woman in the world. But here's what's even more amazing to consider. Just like Abram, the 75-year-old dude that 4,000 years ago was just picked out of nowhere. There was nothing actually that special about Mary. They each had an encounter with the most high God who bent heaven down to them and changed the trajectory of their lives in a way that nobody could have predicted would have happened. Abram, wouldn't have, he wouldn't have picked war and famine and running out to save his nephew you know, when he was an old codger, right? Mary wouldn't have picked ridicule or shame, but when the most high calls you, he changes your priority from the inside out. If you say, like, I follow Jesus, but my life hasn't changed, I have a few follow-up questions. Because when you have engaged with the Most High God, when you have come face-to-face with the Son of the Most High, everything in your world changes from the inside out. Listen to the words of the Son of the Most High just a few chapters later in Luke 6. He said, but I say to you, to anyone who'd listen, love your enemies. This is what the Son of the Most High says to you. Do what is good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If anyone hits you on the cheek, offer your other one also. And if anyone takes away your coat, don't hold back your shirt either. Give to everyone who asks you and from someone who takes your things, don't ask for them back. Just as you want for others to do for you, do the same for them. If you love those who love you, what credit's that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you lend to those whom expect to, you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to be repaid in full. But love your enemies. Do what is good. Lend expecting nothing in return and then your reward will be great. You will be children Of the Most High. For He is gracious to the ungrateful, and He is gracious to the evil. So be merciful, just as your Father, the God Most High, is also merciful. You know, the only reason we can even dream of doing any of these things that he has just called us to, the only reason we would want to do any of the things that he has just called us to is because this son of the most high, in the words of the psalmist, stooped low to us. He sits high and he stoops low. And when we were his enemy, he loved us. When we mistreated him, he took it not just on the cheek, but he had nails pierced through his hand and he died on the cross for us. When, when we were, were evil, he was gracious and merciful when we were ungrateful to him. And when that truth pierces deep into your soul, it will change you. It'll make you more like him. And then it won't matter one bit Which one of us is the greatest? Because it'll be about Jesus, who is. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this remarkable story. And we thank you that Jesus is the Son of the Most High God. And we thank you that because of Jesus, we who have placed our faith in him can also become the children, the sons and daughters of the most high God. And so we just pray that you would transform us from the inside out. Make us more like your son, not for our glory, but for his glory. And we just pray that this Christmas season, we would reflect who he is in our world. We pray this all in Jesus's precious name, amen.